Hello, this is Bixby. Welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Here is your host, Roger Kibbe. Hello, Bixby Developer Chat listeners. I hope everyone is staying safe out there. Today, I have the honor of talking with Julie Daniel Davis. Julie is a passionate advocate for voice and education and Alexa Champion. I'm excited to talk to Julie about voice, education, and the future of both. And Julie, I think we met each other in, wow, I believe January 2018 was the first Alexa conference. It was, yes. hundred of us. (laughs) All of us in a, I think the third floor of the library of our downtown library in Chattanooga. And if anything, I would say, wow, because look at how much the voice industry has grown since that moment. It's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's about two and a half years. Compare that to Project Voice, where I saw you in January, and there must have been, what, something like 3,000 people there? So from 100 people in the third floor of the library, 3,000 people in the biggest convention center in, in Chattanooga, that's kind of representative of the growth of voice. What I think is really awesome is that, you know, I look at myself and you, obviously, as OGs, the original gangster voice people, because we were there in the beginning. And I love that I was because it's opened so many doors for me to really get involved in voice because of that. That's awesome. I I joke about being OG. If OG is two and a half years or three years old, (laughs) then that's OG. But in this industry, it kind of is. Although I must say, if I told that to my boss, to Adam Shire, he would laugh because he's been doing it for 25 years. Yeah, maybe not. For voice assistants, a couple years is a long time. So Julie, why don't I let you introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Julie Daniel Davis, and I serve as the Director of Instructional Technology and Innovation at a private school here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is my home. Uh, I've been in that position. Actually, I've been at the school 15 years, but I've been in that position for the last two years. And really what my role is, is looking at ways to use technology to enhance the learning in the classroom. So with that, I became interested in voice when it first entered the market, just to see, is this something that we could use in education? I'm always looking for what's the next emerging technology, what's something that's out there that might enhance. And as an educator, we always have to balance between okay, this looks really neat, but what are the detriments of me bringing it into the classroom as well? So those are always the things I have to look at. Great. So tell me about when did you buy your first uh, voice assistant or what was your first experience of voice? Yeah, actually, I think I have it around here somewhere, but the original cylinder Alexa, I bought that. I got, I'll never forget. I got money for my birthday and I thought, I'm going to buy one of those just to see what it does and all that. So I, I bought the very first one, this tall cylinder, and immediately kind of started playing around with it. And at that moment thought, huh, I wonder if there's any value of, to put this in the classroom. Because in my mind, the price point was an amazing attribute to it because, you know, Equity of access is a really big thing in education, and and it's expensive to put devices in front of every single student. But in my mind, wait a minute, I could put one of those in the room and there's access to the world. And it, you know, 2015, that was real early on. So my expectations were not near as big as what I would like for it to do now. But so that was kind of where it started. My um, wondering if there was some use for it in the classroom. 
Okay, and at that time, were you uh, driving technology in the classrooms, or is that something that came up with voice? Uh, I was. I, I was already as a technology coach at the school system that I was in, so I was already looking for, you know, different ways to do that, and I found a middle school teacher during that time, and I said, hey, can I just come by one day and put this in your classroom, and let's just, I mean, I didn't really have, and this is this doesn't sound like very prepared, but I didn't really have a lesson plan in mind. I just wanted to see what the reaction of the students were. Mm -hmm. So took it into a middle school classroom, set it there. It was new to all of them as well. They'd heard of it, but they hadn't really been around one. And I probably left it in there 10 minutes and said, oh no, there is no way I want this in the hands of, because, you know, the, the questions imme immediately went to inappropriate and the question, you know, that type of thing. And it was just a, became a silly thing. So it was one of those moments where I was like, no, nope, we're not there yet. But I did see the potential. And at that time, my youngest daughter was in high school taking chemistry and it was sitting in our house. And one day she was going upstairs to study for a test. And she walked by it and she, I don't even remember what she asked, but she was, hey, Alexa, what is blah, 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 answer. You know, hey, Alexa, blah, 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 answer. And she was like, ah. and I was like, you can't use it to cheat on your homework. <laughs> so, I mean, I think everyone immediately saw value for learning. It was right. just how do we harness that value? So you talked about you're the director of instructional technology innovation at a private school in Chattanooga. And you talked about bringing voice into the classroom, but dive a little bit deeper into what that all involves. Right, so um, I, like I said, I was real hesitant in the beginning, took some opportunities here and there to try things. And then the next year after the Alexa conference, after the first year where I met you, that's when the Kids Edition Echo Dot came out. And what I heard about it was that it was COPPA compliant, which is one of the student privacy laws that educators really have to think about for students under the age of 13. So I did a little bit of a reach out to Bradley Metrock and to several other people. And I was like, hey, I would really love to pilot these at our school to see if there's value. And this is the first real device that I feel comfortable with putting in the classroom. I'd like to use it in this way. Here are the safeguards we're going to use. We talked about deleting recordings. We talked about, you know, different things that I, I was gonna make sure it was set up with. So he actually put me in touch with David Spitsky and Dave actually donated, he and his wife donated uh, five or six of the Echo Dot Kids Editions with remotes for me to try. And the way I believe in doing anything innovative is not to force it, but to put it out there and see if anybody's interested. Because if you force innovation, it's going to flop. So I just sent an email out to some teachers and said, hey, I've got five of these. The first five of you who speak up, we'll put it in your classroom and we'll start moving forward. And that's what we did. We, I had five immediately, I had, you know, 20 teachers wanting it, but I had five teachers that got it, which is always a good thing. I would say in the beginning, it was messy. We learned a lot in that most of what we do in education at our school, I would call it bleeding edge, where someone else has already gone through the, this is, this part doesn't work. How do we make this work? 
this was truly cutting edge because we were the ones trying to figure out how do we make this work. And so with the Echo Dot Kids Edition, it works with the free time. And that free time is like a built-in parent dashboard that allows uh, a parent, it's made for parents, not necessarily teachers, but to control what the, what the student has access to. Well, then we learned, you know, through the hard way, because we d- there wasn't really any, um, I-, I couldn't find really good information on what you could and couldn't do with it, that only kids' skills worked on that. So, you know, if someone didn't make the encyclopedia a kid's skill, I couldn't use it as a learning tool in there. So it was that type of thing. So anything my teachers put on their device to use, they then had to go, and this is still the case, they would st- have to go to free time and then okay it to play on that device. So it's a lot of extra steps that like if you were just going to sit one down in a room and say, hey, let's go. But the benefit I believed was that it was filtered, A, and there was a little more control. So if, for instance, and I always share this with people, if I ask a regular Echo Dot a question that might be inappropriate for the classroom, it might give me a clinical answer to that question. But that's not something I want a middle schooler to yell out. Mm-hmm. With the kids edition Echo Dot, it will say something like, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. Or you need to talk to an adult about that. So that was something that we felt like we were putting some safeguards in that were able to be there in the... And I will say, even at this point, because it was so messy, and teachers wanted to use it, but it was just like they felt like they were hitting a brick wall that they're, most of those original five aren't using them as robustly as some of the others that use them later on. And that's the chance you take anytime you want to do something innovative. I mean, they look at now and go, oh, that works now? Like when they see it in somebody else's class. But, you know, that's an op- that's just something you know that you're taking into account whenever you're doing something that innovative. Yeah, I think anybody, if you adopt technology as an uh, early, yeah. you got to go with the mumps and bruises. And right. then you're always, when somebody gets it later, you see and you're like, wow, I didn't know it could do that. Or, oh, they fixed that. Or, yeah, no, I think that's part of the dilemma of adopting things early is you get excitement, you get some cool stuff, but they don't always work exactly the way they want. And and that's that's the nature of the beast. And we knew that. I mean, I had one teacher at one point said, just come get it. I don't feel like I'm doing what I need to do with it. And I said, listen, I don't care what you do with it. At this point, just tell me how you're using it. And if you see there's any benefit, I had no expectations on you whatsoever. And then that kind of took off, that eased the pressure that they had placed on themselves of, oh, I've got to use it this way or I've got to use it that way. And I said, no, I want to know, does it enhance what's going on in your classroom? And so that kind of helped a little bit with all that. And with this device, I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, you're trying to push them into all the schools everywhere. But at the price point that we're talking about, you know, a $50-ish device, really the benefit that I see is it enhancing what's in the classroom. I don't see it leading instruction. I don't see it taking over where everybody needs to have them. But I think if a teacher is interested, 
They have an ability to differentiate with that device. They have ability to create a small group instruction in the back of the room while they're busy doing something. It's almost like having a teacher's aid in the room, especially if you have students that are not quite readers yet. So, you know, I can have a teacher say, Alexa, what's today's lesson? And Alexa can tell those students what they're supposed to do while they're sitting there, while the teacher's at the front of the room working with six more students or whatever. And so that's the beauty of it. But I think you have to really decide is that, do I want to use it for that? You know, it may be that it's just about timers and routines and playing music in uh, certain times of the day. But regardless, the fact that voice is just so easy. When it, one of the biggest things you'll hear from teachers is there's just not enough time in the day. And they are going multitasking all day long. To be able to do that multitasking with just their voice is a huge, huge benefit to teachers. You know, to be in the middle of a group discussion and then think, oh, if I don't remind myself that we've got to go to PE in 15 minutes and to be able to say, Alexa, set a timer for 15 minutes. You know, that's huge for a teacher. That's the thing that I think um, many teachers don't realize that what, what a huge benefit just that can be, attaching it to your calendar so you know you get reminders of what to do, that type of thing. Letting certain students go back and just decompress with that device for a little bit when they're having a stressful moment. I see it really helpful for students with special needs. That's super interesting. So it's the teacher's assistant in a way, right? Kind of, yeah. whether it's reminders or keeping a group of students using it or a student using it. Tell me, I, I'm actually really curious about well, one before that. Was this all in middle school that you talked no, about? Actually, uh, all of the teachers that started off, I had uh, five teachers in elementary school. And then I had one in high school, none of it. Well, and it was just the matter of who answered the email first, but I didn't have any in uh, middle school at that time, which I don't know was a bad thing. I mean, middle schoolers are different. They're a different breed, you know? Yeah. As a parent of one uh, current middle <laughs> schooler, an eighth grader, and then I have a ninth grader. Yeah. I think middle schoolers um, would find the mischief to do with those devices quicker than anyone. Uh, nope. So yeah, I, I was, I was, my mother was a middle school teacher for her career. So I'm <laughs> very familiar with middle school. Uh, I was, when you said you first put it in middle school, I was like, ah. Yeah, right. But I figure if I wanted to see the things I needed to worry about, that was the place to start. So Absolutely. that was my concept. <laughs> so tell me, I can see that teachers use it for kind of a teacher's assistant and the help, but I'm actually Super curious about, you said sometimes a kid or a group of kids will use it. Is this something the teachers built themselves or their particular skills? Did they use Alexa blueprints? What works or what have, what have different teachers done that works really well? I yeah, guess so uh, something as simple with some of our first grade teachers used it. They gave their students a worksheet of math problems. Uh, we, we, in education, especially in elementary education, uh, one of the things that you'll often see in the classroom is uh, station rotation. So a student sits here for eight minutes, they get up and they move to a different. And so we teach math and reading that way a lot. So uh, a kid might be working on a worksheet or working on some problems. Then they went over to the Alexa device. 
they sat down and they checked their math problems. Uh -huh. So it was, hey, Alexa, what's 27 plus 11? Check mark. And so something very easy, but realizing they were kind of in control of their learning and, and knowing uh, that type of thing. And the teacher would tell them, if you got it wrong, rework that problem, you know, and see if you got it right that time. So that one is just a real easy built-in way to use Alexa. I also have teachers that have used the Alexa blueprints. And when the blueprints came out, when we first got ours, blueprints weren't available on the kids edition echo dot and i was like are you kidding me this is like the best thing ever mm -hmm. and slowly that became available and so now a lot of our teachers will create uh, study guides for an upcoming test and so back in the corner you know we're working on this the students finished something go back and work on your study guide and so it may be that they have that sheet of paper right in front of them and all they're doing is regurgitating what the answer is but at a certain point the paper goes away and they're just saying the answers it may be that it's in quiz form the downside to using um these devices right now is that we don't because of student privacy we can't really quiz using it because i can't connect a student with that in my high hopes of the future, that would be something that I would love to see where a teacher could actually quiz a student and they would have a grade based on what they just did with Alexa in the back of the room. And there are blueprints for quizzes, for flashcards, for listening skills, that type of thing. And what the beauty of a blueprint is, for your listeners who may not know, is you really don't have to have any coding skills whatsoever to do that. So I've got teachers who create flash briefings to start their day. They're taking role in the morning and they'll have a, the Alexa student of the day will say, uh, Alexa, what's our flash briefing? And it will go over, here's our goals for today or here's what our day is going to look like. So things like that where it gives a teacher who, as I've said, has zero time the ability to kind of put the attention elsewhere while they're doing a task. But also because they have very little time, the ease of creating a blueprint doesn't feel stressful, um, you know, because they don't have to have those coding skills. Mm -hmm. It's basically just erasing what's there and putting their information in there. That's awesome. You know, it strikes me this hits home because I have an older daughter who's been kind of reading challenged. Mm -hmm. So she's very verbal. She understands things verbally. But reading, uh, I think she's kind of over the hump and is doing well now. But, you know, we sent her some special programs. And part of the challenge was if it was written, it just wouldn't compute. Right. But if you said the same thing in words, it would compute and should get it. And so as you're talking, I was thinking about, wow, you know, all kids learn differently. Sure. Right? Some kids want to read it. Some kids want to listen to it. Some kids probably want to watch the video of it. But I think it offers an opportunity for a, kid, a different way. Instead of reading, I also can listen to it or I can augment. I think that's super empowering. And because it's another voice, it kind of amplifies the teacher's ability. Mm -hmm. to, to, yeah. You know. And, and, you know, one of the beauty of this and this week's episode of my Voice in Education podcast, I had Scott and um, Susan Westwater talking about their son using voice during quarantine time. And they were saying how much he really responds when he hears his teacher's voice on their devices now. Like it's 
that helps him feel connected. So to be able as a teacher, even now in these really weird times of teaching, to share your voice directly with your student, that's a huge thing. I mean, it doesn't have to be Alexa's voice. It doesn't have to be the Google Assistant voice to share your own voice. And you can do that with the blueprints as well. I can do a flash briefing that way. So I think that that's the important thing. Um, the natural, the nat I'm making up a word, the naturalness of voice mm -hmm. and how we respond to others based on how we hear things. I think that's going to be an important part of um, students really understanding AI in the future, because it, if we can put our own voices in there, it feels less mechanical. And I think it helps students to understand the difference between what's real and what's not real. Those are concerns I have forward of where we're going with education uh, and just in general with uh, artificial intelligence. So I love the fact that those things are built in so that we can continue to make sure students realize there's somebody on the other side of that talking to you, you know? Yeah, you know, voice is a very uh, humanizing technology. I like sure. Um, not only just the fact of, even if it's an artificial voice listening to you, that's much more human than I had to learn to type. I had to learn to swipe. Obviously, I learned to speak, but I was an infant. <laughs> so it's so natural way to communicate. And so I think it's humanizing. And you're right, even recorded is even better. Which leads me to the next question. So you talked about in the classroom. Are you having, now are kids in that school, are they going home and doing things on their devices? Or what happens at home uh, yeah. Do you encourage this? Do you ask them to do it? What, what goes on? Right. We at this point have not said, hey, uh, we want everyone to do this, obviously, because um, one of the things that I, I do have a concern about is interoperability. You know, when you see how many devices are in homes now, but we're not always talking about Alexa's, you know, we're talking about Google Assistant's, um, we're talking about Samsung Bixby on a phone, you know, we've got a lot of different devices that students could listen to. And so therefore, for a teacher to kind of expect that, um, it can't be an expectation at this point. Now, I know that for some of our teachers, when they create a, a study guide using blueprints, they'll push that out to parents and say, hey, if you have an Alexa device, so here's how you can access this if you want to practice at home. But it's not at this point, it, it can't be something that's required because there's just not the ability to make sure we're meeting everyone's needs. And in education, the important thing is equity. If we're going to do it for one, we want to make sure we're doing it for everybody. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I, I know you live in Tennessee and I'm here in California. And in California, educational system is super dominated by Google by Chromebooks. Matter of fact, my daughter's in high school. Every high school freshman got a Chromebook. Um, and, and so I, I look at that and I'm like, wow, if I was Google, <laughs> I would be doing something more with Google Assistant and Chromebooks because then you have that penetration. We, uh, we're actually a Google school. We use uh -huh. Google for education. Our students have Chromebooks. I actually had a conversation with Kathy Pearl not too long ago. I was like, come on. I mean, you are who we want in this space because we're already a Google school. Educators trust Google. I mean, it's just somebody we already trust. So it's one of those things. Just join us in this space. You can put a Google Assistant on a Chromebook. 
I mean, you know, that is an option as well. The downside for me at this point is the templates that Google Assistant has aren't quite as intuitive in my mind as the blueprints. And even just finding them, you have to kind of dig down deep into the Google developer to even find where they're at. So uh, part of it is, Right now, probably a because I started off with Alexa. You know, you tend to, to mm -hmm. navigate where you're where you start. Uh, but b just the ease of creation at this point. But but I, like I told Kathy, to me, if Google jumped on board, it makes the most sense out of everybody. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't make a call out if you're looking for cross-platform development to talk about my friend Braden Ream and his Voice Flow tool. Right. Because um, that's a, maybe not as easy as Blueprints, but a pretty intuitive tool to build across those platforms for Alexa uh, and Google Now. And we've been talking about adding Bixby. And that was their whole plan. A non-technical user could build a voice experience and, I and actually, not worry about the platform. Right. I use Voice Flow to create my flash, brief, or my flash briefing on um, Alexa and Google Assistant. So yes, great. It is a great platform. Hey, so speaking about flash briefings and podcasts, uh -huh. I wanted to ask you about your uh, podcast, short form podcast, flash briefing, short cast. There's a lot of industry terms for that. Um, I think if I last checked, I think you did just released episode 64. Yeah. So you've been yeah. doing it for a while. Right. Tell our listeners about uh, what your podcast is, is about. Yeah, so not this last uh, January, but the January, I guess that would be 2019, right after going to the Alexa conference, sat in a session with Terry Fisher talking about the value of flash briefing. And it was already kind of in the back of my mind because in the space that I'm in as an educator, in the voice realm, there's very few of us that are really looking at it intentionally. And I'm, I'm being... Uh, people reach out to me from all across the country, all across, actually, even internationally, people will reach out to me and ask me questions on, you know, how should I do this? What's the best way? How are you taking student privacy into account? And so I realized I'm answering a lot of these questions in my free time uh, where I could really be helpful to others because my opinion is there's no reason for everybody else to go through the cutting edge. Let's help everybody starting at the bleeding edge, you know, and so learn from the things that we've learned from. I think my first episode was January of 2019. I created a weekly flash briefing using Alexa at that point, uh, eight to 10 minutes of just me talking about voice, the intersection of voice and education. Um, it started off basically me talking about using Alexa and student privacy and things you need to keep into account. And then I've been fortunate to have a lot of guest speakers come be a part of the episodes each week. In fact, there's a guy I'm talking to right now who is next week's guest speaker. <laughs> um, sneak but, preview. Yeah, sneak preview. So that being said, my goal was, and I honestly, I don't even know what the penetration looks like of who's actually listening to these podcasts, but my goal was just to put it out there 
to help people just really think. And here's my thing. I want people to think critically about voice. I don't want you to just accept it. I want you to realize that there are benefits, but there are also some things that you really need to consider during this time. Because if you don't, there you may not set it up in a way that's really protecting your students as best you can. So that was my goal and how I kind of got involved with, uh, and oddly through all that, I became uh, Alexa champion at the Project Voice. I was selected as a podcast, one of the podcasts that could, uh, I can't, can't even remember what it was called, but you know, for all the award ceremony, I was a uh, listed for two different areas, and then also became a Bixby Premier developer through all that. So that's been a really cool thing. Yeah. So your flash briefing is now a podcast. Right. Available on your favorite podcast player, on Bixby, on Google, just about anywhere you want it. So one of the things I know is I've talked to a lot of people who are kind of interested in in flash briefings or podcasts. Um um, and he always asks, well, what's your advice? And I just say, go do it. Right. <laughs> but you've been doing 64 episodes. You may have better, uh, more cogent advice than I do no. about kind of things to think about, about what works or doesn't work. Uh, I really with, uh, feel like, have you ever heard of the term imposter syndrome? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I feel like I am as a podcaster, because I know there are probably a bazillion different ways to do this a lot better than the way I do it. And as I, you know, it's a hobby. I've got a full-time job. I'm doing this on the side, but it's just something I just felt really led to be a part of. So I probably like when people, people get nervous when I ask them to be a part, but literally I'm doing it as easy as I can. If they just want to record something and send it to me, I accept that. Um, my, uh, Intro jingle is actually at, off of my iPhone where I held it up to the computer <laughs> the very first time. I mean, nothing about me says, oh, she's got it all together. Um, I even use a microphone when I'm doing it. Um, just really doing as basic as I can. I'm, I'm a, but obviously, it's in a niche where people care. So I think the important thing with any um, briefing or podcast is make sure that you're feeling a need and it's something you feel passionate about. Because if you don't, at about episode 43, you're going to go, why the heck did I start this and why do I keep doing it? So I think it's important that you figure out what it is you, you want to do and what's your why. Why do I want to do this? Who am I trying to reach with this? And I think that's the important thing, because if not, you're going to get bored with it and your boredom is going to show to the, your listeners as well. You know, I think that's great advice. It's interesting. It really echoes a lot. I talked to uh, Adrian Simple a few podcasts back who does something called The Gaming Observer, really successful uh, podcast shortcast about uh, the gaming industry. And he started for similar reasons. It was something he felt really passionate about. And he went out and said, hey, I want to talk about it. I love talking to people about it. I'm going to share what I like to talk about with a broader audience. And what you're saying is something similar, is you feel very passionate about this. And so that passion comes through. You know, you don't need a mic. You don't need fancy setup. As a matter of fact, sometimes things that are a little more organic sound better than overly produced things, in my opinion. Right. Uh, 
Thanks. That makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah, no. And I also think that it's really important. There's some crazy statistic about um, most podcasts started don't go beyond five episodes or something oh, really? along those lines. Yeah. And I think it's because people started because I want to start a podcast. Not a good reason to do it. It's, hey, there's something I like talking about that I'd like to share with the world. I'd yeah. like to talk with other people about it. And this just makes it an easy way to do it. And if you think of it that way, and you're just sharing with the world something you're passionate about, I think it succeeds. If you're trying to do it because it's cool to be a podcaster, I think that's a, a much tougher road. I think I think yeah. you're gonna you're right. You're gonna get burnt out. You're not gonna get yeah. interested in what you're talking about. So and you know, I found myself even I'll get to a certain place. I'm like, what the heck am I gonna talk about this week? You know, but I just I try to stay in the know of the industry as much as possible. And um, there's sometimes that I feel like I'm really kind of pushing it. But about that time, something awesome will happen in the industry. Or I'll get multiple people go, yeah, I'd love to be a guest. And that gives me a little bit of a refresh and that restart and able to go, okay, yeah, this is why I started this. Or even better, I hear from an educator who says, hey, I've been listening to all your podcasts. And first I'm like, wow. Uh, and then, you know, hey, I, I have a few more questions. And those questions often feed me, you know, okay, if they're still having these questions. This would make a great episode further. Yeah, that's great. It, you're hearing from your audience that they love what you're doing is so motivating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see podcasts uh, get more, some kind of more interactivity. It's funny, you're talking about Terry Fisher as your inspiration. And I talked to Terry a long time at Project Voice about that. But hey, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk more about, so we talked a lot about voice in education. Mm -hmm. But you're not just about voice, you're also about technology. We so are, tell me yeah. about some other technology you think was promising or interesting in your education or is working well, or maybe the opposite, technology that seemed promising and kind of fizzled. Yeah, I think, I've been, like I said, I've been in this industry for quite some time, um, have a degree in instructional technology from 2007. So that was right before like tablets hit the market and things like that. Um, that being said, you know, I think, much like voices now, um, the tablet generation kind of, we muddled through that. It was ugly at times. We look back and go, wow, we would have done that so differently had we known this, this, and this. But we didn't. And, and you just, you learn and you move forward. And with any new emerging technology, based on the things that happened in the past, there's certain things that are going to come to mind for me. You know, is this cross-platform? Can I use this for, for all students? That type of thing. So, you know, we as a school, as I said earlier, we're a Chromebook school. We are a pre-K through 12th grade school of about 1,400 students. We, in grades 5 through 10 now, we are Chromebook school. So all those students have Chromebooks. 11th and 12th graders, we were bring your own technology before that. So 11th and 12th graders still have uh, bring your own technology and are expected to bring that. But we will be rolling this forward so that we'll be Chromebook throughout. In our elementary school, we have iPads and we have Chromebooks. And, and it's not one-to-one. Uh, -one. It's that we felt like that it's important for it not to be. We choose not for technology not to ever look like we're leading instruction with technology. We want technology to be seen as a support to what's going on. 
That being said, uh, we're also in a really weird day and time with the coronavirus going around, and technology has become even more important for us to continue the teaching and the learning that's going on with our students. So we use the learning management system Canvas, which is one of the top learning management systems in the United States, and in grades, in our upper school grades, 6 through 12, all instruction is going through Canvas to our students right now. So everything they know that they need to know to do while they're at home, we're calling it virtual school, while they're at home, they are getting all their instructions, taking all their tests through Canvas. I do not think that we could have done this as robustly as we have and as quickly as we have if it were not for a learning management system. It has really made a huge difference for us as a school in, able, in, in being able to equip our students forward. And I think a lot of things that people in education forget is that the student-facing side of using technology. And I hear and I'm seeing on Twitter and things like that where these kids are just being bombarded with all these different platforms right now because they weren't using so much of it in school. So now they're having to learn a platform. They're having to know how to use that tool without anybody really teaching them. And they're having to learn, you know, on their own, so to speak. And so to be able, we told our teachers straight up, limit the technology tools to the things that you've already used in the classroom plus video conferencing. So we added that because that wasn't something we've really used that much in the classroom. But basically, if you were a teacher that were using a lot of tools already, there's no reason why your students can't keep using Flipgrid and can't keep using Quizlet and things like that. But if you are a teacher who was not using those type of things, don't think that your students are going to be able to pick up on that and know how to do that immediately. So that's lessons learned over the years. We have two tech support people at our school right now supporting every family at home, every teacher, every student. And so knowing that that's what you've got and we're doing it virtually, we really had to set some limitations on what the expectations would be. You know, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about in this time of the coronavirus, how it's going to change society. And there's been a lot of talk about work and people being more open to remote work as a result of this. But I also have been thinking, and because I, I see it in my kids, and it sounds like your school is doing great. I think our schools are doing okay. I, I sympathize. It's disruptive for everyone. Um, but, you know, they've been using Zoom and Google Classroom. But one of the things I thought about is, hey, is there a silver lining coming out of this where we think there's a way to use this technology to do things remotely from home that is different or more interactive than, frankly, my kids go home and they'll spend two, three hours a night, book open. Yes, there's some pretty cool online things, especially for math that I see some kids doing. But is there a way to enable technology to make that more interactive? And we're forced to do that right now. Right. So maybe coming out of this, there'll be some new innovative thinking and or just less resistance to going and trying and saying, hey, let's bring some interactivity into the home. It could be a really kind of revolutionary 
thing for education, I think, but I'm not an educator. I'm curious. Right. Well, and I think we talked about this in the past, but the president of our school says that a lot of innovation comes from pain. There's a pain point that's causing you to have to innovate. And so, you know, I'm working with teachers. These are the same teachers I've worked with forever. Some of them were very much, no, I don't want that in my classroom. Well, now they're forced to use this technology in the classroom. Specifically, I think of things like discussion boards and allowing video to turn in an assignment versus a typed paper or something like that. There are a lot of ways out there um, that I think teachers, now that they feel more comfortable with these tools, they'll be looking for ways. They're not going to be so standoffish about using those tools. And so I think you're right. I think 100% this is an opportunity for education across the board to start looking about why are we still teaching the same way we taught? I mean, I graduated in 1987 from high school. Why are we still in rows teaching with a teacher in the front of the classroom, um, lecturing? Not that every class is like that, but we see a lot of those across the, the world. So here's an opportunity. What can we take away from this? How important is seat time? You know, we expect those students to be there for eight hours every day, but are we showing them that there's really not a need for that anymore? What can we glean from this forward to help education move into the 21st century, which guess what? We've been in for quite a while now, you know? So I am 100% believe that this is going to open the door, like you say, for if nothing more open-mindedness of what the possibilities are. And, and that's exciting to me. Um, I can tell you for myself already, my plan wasn't to come back to our school next year. I was going to do an early retirement, but they've asked me to stay on. And, and I said, okay, could part of my day be working from home? And the answer was yes. Now, I don't know that that would have been a possibility you know, but they're knowing that, hey, if she needs to talk to teachers, she can do a Google Meet or a Zoom with them because our teachers know how to do that now. So I think things like that, just something for my own self, something small where I can be uh, a virtual part of education, that was never an opportunity for regular day-to-day, -day, you know, K-12 districts. So I think those are the type of things that are exciting. Yeah, completely. It's kind of a, you open the door and yeah. the floods behind it. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm thinking, what about snow days? We take ah. off all these snow days. Well, have we just proved we don't have to do that? That we could truly build in however many, but there's not that fear anymore of what if we go over those snow days allotment and you have to go into the summer? Well, I don't think you have to do that anymore. We've shown that we can do this. Just really simplified things. That's exciting. There's an exciting yeah. future there. Hey, I want to bring it back and pivot back and talk about voice. Yeah. And I want to talk about the future of voice, but I want to ask a, a little bit of a Samsung specific question or kind of a device specific question. So Bixby is on phones today, uh, but you can develop for watches, refrigerators, and smart TVs. Mm -hmm. And Samsung has a huge global position in all of those. Of those additional devices that you can voice enable, um, what sounds most intriguing to you? 
definitely at this point, that TV, because that's something um, kind of the day of the overhead projector is leaving. We have more smart TVs or more touch screen TVs in the classroom. So to be able to do that by voice for a teacher, that's going to take away that sense of, um, know how to do that. We'll just say it and see if it'll do it. You know, I think that's an exciting time. I also believe wholeheartedly because Samsung Bixby is looking at making sure that it's not just a, a, a certain device. You guys seem to have a goal to move forward to make um, multiple devices. STEM is a really big thing in education right now. STEM education, science, technology, engineering, math. One of those things that we do in STEM education is teach students how to code, um, teach students about robotics, and teach students about design thinking. I think Samsung Bixby has a place in this um, that they could really put their finger on helping STEM education go to the next level, you know, enabling these robotics with voice, but not just you not just Bixby creating it, but allowing students Mm -hmm. to enable that voice. You and I have talked in the past how important I think it is that a device for me shouldn't just be about consumption. If the device is only about consumption, I want to see a student creating with devices. Mm -hmm. That's where we're going to see real learning. So if a student can create something that allows a Lego robotics to move across the room based on speech or something as simple as a wonder workshop. It's like a kid friendly robotic tool. That would be amazing. And I think that's where I am excited about the future of voice and education, that multimodal approach to voice being a part of what we're already doing or even better something that's not out there yet but that's the thing that excites me is what's next how can voice be enabled on top of the things that students do and how can students create using voice i love that being creative and i think you're so right there's something super rewarding about developing and then you go and do something and then you see the outcome of it one of the beauties of things like voice, and you're talking about those robotics tools, is it's pretty quick to get some reward, yeah. right? Kind of traditional programming, you can spend many, many, many hours before you get a reward. That may be okay when you're college age. Sure, but not I can't imagine a 12-year-old <laughs> spending a bunch of time coding to do something, but if they can really quickly put something together and get some results, it's almost like the modern day version of, I remember... I used to love Legos as a kid, building mm-hmm. these crazy things. And in that days, they weren't free kits. It was just, you got a bunch of Legos and had to build your right. own stuff. Maybe there's something that technology is a successor to that of really easily building some experience and then enjoying it and having fun and having fun while you're learning. Sure. Yeah. And I think what, what we will see because of this push towards STEM education is we'll see more students open to those ideas of going into these STEM fields because all of a sudden, wait, STEM isn't boring. There is a fun side to STEM and there is a reward to this. I mean, I, you know, graduating in 1987, it was not on my radar at all to consider anything in the computer age at all, even though the computers were out there. That wasn't, I had not been around them at all. But now I look at these students who literally in 
kindergarten, first grade, they're learning how to do drag and drop coding. So they're already starting to see, oh, here's the benefit of me knowing how to do these things. I think there's great potential for the future. And I think my, and this is a little controversial, but I think in the future, it's going to be important for every student to have some basic knowledge of what it means to code. And I use that term lightly, but to be some type of developer, because if nothing else, there's going to be times in their life where they need to critically think about troubleshooting something that they're working on. And to have that chronological thinking ability, that uh, step-by-step fallback, I like to call it fail forward, to move forward, I think that's going to be an important soft skill uh, of the future of students. You know, it's interesting. I draw the analogy to my kids always ask me, who did? Why do I have to learn math? Yeah. <laughs> you know, why do I have to learn this algebra? And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't use algebra much in my, I can't remember the last time I used right. it professionally, yet it taught me a way of thinking. It taught me a logical way of thinking. And I think right. there's a pretty good analogy there to developing is you may never have to do that, but it teaches you a certain logical way of thinking and teaches your brain to think in a certain way. And that's certainly an answer for math, <laughs> which I, I hope resonates with my kids or half resonates as best as a parent. Well, maybe not now, but one day. One, one day. day, absolutely. <laughs> hey, Julie, you talked a little bit about this. Well, let me just ask you about the future, where you'd like to see voice go. And uh, you choose the time frame: a year, five years, 10 years. Where should it go? Or where would you like to see it go? You know, I really thought, I'll be honest, I really thought we would already be where I'd like to see it go. Um, but I, after being kind of embedded in the voice industry and knowing how education works, there's just so many constraints because of student privacy. Um, I am involved with the Open Voice Network. John Stein is a part of that. And um, that's one of the things that I as an educator that I felt it was really important for me to be a part of. And some of the things that we're doing is trying to set up standards for voice so that there would be expectations across. Everyone would know what they're getting into, so to speak, Um, that the student privacy would be taken into account. And part of that too is John plans on going and lobbying because our student privacy laws are too far behind. The technology that we have in hand doesn't match our capabilities anymore. So um, I get all that. That being said, in my mind, the future of voice, and I, I guess this would be stepping stone, but the first step would be a device that would be fully committed to education. A device that I could set into every classroom in my school. They would all be networked together, kind of like Alexa for business. And that they would have the COPPA compliance, the FERPA compliance, the SIPA compliance, that the the device itself would control the data locally and not sending it out to the cloud. So I wouldn't have that fear. In some ways, I'm seen as a heretic because I think that we should be using these in the classroom. There are so many people on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I like to think I'm balanced about it. I mean, I'm thinking about what is it that we should and shouldn't do. I know there are people out there just sticking them in a classroom. So that being said, if, if the voice industry really wants education to take them seriously, 
I think the voice industry has some stepping up to do uh, in order for us to really adapt it and adopt it in a meaningful way. I also believe that that price point needs to stay where it is. If you want to do something amazing for education, this could be it. The equity of being able to reach everybody with one device in a classroom is a huge thing for 50 bucks. To be able to do that um, in a rural district where they don't have the funding or an inner city district where they don't have the funding, that's a really important thing, I think. And that's why I get excited about voice in education is this is the first time I've seen a device that's connected globally to the world that is at a price point that any teacher could go, well, for 50 bucks, I could put that in my classroom. And so that I think is an important part of it. And to be able, much like the Alexa blueprints, it's got to be easy if teachers are going to adopt it. They don't have the time to learn how to code. Some of them already know, and that's awesome, but you can't expect every teacher to take that on as well. So to have a platform where they can create their own skills or actions or capsules so that they can um, personalize the learning for their exact classroom is huge. Interoperability, as I said before, is huge so that if a kid has a Google Assistant at home, no matter what that teacher made, it's going to play at home as well. I think the possibilities of connectivity between families and schools is such a great thing with voice because I can put the Alexa app on my phone And all I have to have is an Amazon account. I don't have to actually have the device. So I can, I think, and and when you look at statistics, pretty much everybody has a smartphone, no matter how poor they are. I mean, that's just the world we live in right now. That's their means of communication. We don't have landlines anymore. So I think it's important for us, for the industry to look at what the potential is here. And I don't feel like at this point, that's being looked at. Um, When I talk to some of these people who are making decisions and really thinking about all this, I think we're just at the cusp of seeing what we can do with it. And my fear is education will be left out. And that is something I don't want to see happen. I think back to when the first rolling cart of iPads came into our school and I was spending hour upon hour looking for apps, searching for apps, wondering, is this app okay? Is it student privacy taking into account? Should I use this with my students? Do I have to set up a password? All the things that took hours and hours that we should learn from. So that's my thing. Let's learn from the things that went wrong in the past that we could have done better. It's also the reason that I feel led to be a part of this industry. I feel like if there aren't educators in the space in the beginning, then we allow it to happen to us instead of us being instrumental and making sure it happens the right way. So that's my thing. I mean, I feel strongly that it's got such potential. That would be my immediate, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this now. Later on, I want to see voice embedded in everything that that our, our students come in contact with. When they go into Canvas, I would love them to be able to say, hey, Canvas, open up my 
module or open up this. And so it's a, the touch screen and the voice, sometimes it lends itself for voice. Sometimes it lends, you know, to scroll makes sense for some things, but for some things to just be able to say it and it happened, I think you're meeting the needs of accessibility issues with students who really struggle with fine motor skills. You're creating something that's not already out there for them. Students with voice disabilities, um, seeing that at our school, I used our Alexas with a group of students, and this wasn't really a disability, but we have some Chinese international students that are part of our international program. And I created using Voicelets, which is Emerson College created this platform called Voicelets. Um, I created study guides for them, and I watched them improve their English skills by talking to Alexa because she wouldn't understand them. And because of student privacy law, I didn't turn on the ability for it to learn their voices. So I'm I'm having to play within boundaries that I don't want to have to play in. Create something that allows me to really use it for the robustness that it currently is, but also for the future. Oh, you got to know my soapbox, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) I did. That is an impassioned plea to the industry. It strikes me, it democratizes the access because it's such a great price. Mm -hmm. But there's these regulatory issues that need to be overcome. And that's probably a combination of the industry and working and updating regulations for where modern technology is. Mm -hmm. And just uh, also just an impassion of how valuable this can be for education. So industry, and I can talk to myself too, <laughs> get in the ball and support education because there's amazing opportunities there. Hey, so before we go, I always like to ask a question. You use voice assistance. You built some of your own things with blueprints. You have your own podcast. What are some other voice experiences that you particularly like or enjoy and why? Yeah. So, and I, I think, and of course, I'm going to think of it in terms of school, but Music Bop is one of my favorites to see students use in the classroom. It allows them to move, but also teaches them at the same time. Alarna, who created that skill, is amazing. And the thought behind the content blows my mind. Like the first time I ever went to it, I was like, this. This is what education needs. I mean, we're not just, hey, I'm playing a silly song, dance to it. Hey, we're going to the planets and here are the name of the planets. And so it's that value of content where it's actually creating uh, students the ability to learn and to interact is huge for me. So that's one of my favorites. Kids Court is another one uh, that I love to see happening in the classroom. And Adva, when she created that, I, I told her, I said, I wonder how many more people will be using this during the quarantine because it'll be a way to settle things. But um, if you're not familiar with Kids Court, it actually is a way for your bickering children to end their disputes because they take the dispute to Kids Court and the judge decides who wins that argument. So that's a really nice uh, way to settle arguments 
Personally, so I'm originally from the state of Alabama, and there is a flash briefing called Down Home in Alabama, and the news on it is absolutely ridiculously redneck most of the time, and it just cracks me up. So that's one that I really enjoy. I also do a daily devotional on my way into work. Um, I have an Amazon Auto, and I have it set up for a routine, so I'll say good morning. Uh, Echo. And as I head in, it takes me through the news, uh, um, my devotion. It tells me the weather. It tells me what my commute's going to be like that day. So I, I feel like for me personally, it's that giving me that opportunity on the way into work is when I'm using it the most, which I didn't expect that, but it really is when I'm really accessing voice the most. That's awesome. You know, uh, you mentioned music, Bob. I interviewed Alarna a couple of podcasts ago, and uh-huh. she's 23 years old. I know! What a gem for the industry. How creative. She was super young when she started that. It wasn't even like... Yeah, recently. she's just a gem for the industry. And so yeah. a great combination of a technologist who also really gets how to mail entertaining things. And yeah. I'm with you in Adva and uh, Kids Court. It's a, my kids are a little too old for kids court, yeah. but I told Adva to create a teen version of it. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But hey, Julie, if people want to keep in contact with you and what you're doing, what's the best way to do so? Yeah. So you, I have a website, www.juliedavisedu.com. I'm very active on Twitter at juliedavisedu. Uh, or you can just send me an email at juliedavisedu edu at gmail.com and so pretty easy to remember all those perfect and i will definitely make sure to include those in the show links and uh yes you are super active on those and i think it's a great way to keep up with what's going on with voice and education or just voice so you are definitely a huge uh, asset to the industry hey julie i want to say thank you so much for talking to me I probably could have talked to you about voice and education for a couple hours, but uh, well, sorry. I think between the two of us, we're both pretty chatty. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but that's all good. I think it's so so important. I mean, education is the future for our children, and so anything we can do to empower and enable mm-hmm. educators and using technology like voice as a helper to mm-hmm. educators is just amazing. But thank you, thank you so much for being on this. A really really fun talking to you. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. And that's all, folks. Till next time, this is Roger Kibbe from the Bixby Developers Chat signing off.